Hi, you're listening to the Modern Club Management Podcast with me, your host, Ed Chapman. This podcast takes the lived experiences and knowledge of some of the leading figures and thinkers from the world of club management and beyond, all so that they can become your teacher and elevate your performance. Whether you're looking to start a career in club management, are a seasoned club manager at a world-leading club, or work elsewhere within this wonderful industry, there will be powerful messages and key takeaways that can help you in your career or personal life. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Modern Club Management Podcast with me, your host, Ed Chapman. Today, I'm excited to be joined by David Shepherd. David has been the CEO of the Scandinavian in Copenhagen, Denmark, since 2016, a 36-hole facility, which has recently been voted as having the number one and two courses in Denmark. Prior to this, David spent over eight years in the Algarve at Monterey Golf and Country Club as Director of Golf, which followed on from a successful time at the Belfry Golf Resort as Golf Operations Manager. It's safe to say that David has worked at some of the best clubs in Europe and has a reputation himself to match. I'm excited to be joined by David as we discuss employee development programs. David, thanks for joining me and how are you today? I'm good, thanks. Very kind introduction and uh, yeah, I'm really good. Enjoying the uh, mild, milder than usual uh, November in Denmark. Ah, nice. I think, I think we all are around Europe at the minute. Before we crack on with the subject, can you just give a bit of background into kind of what got you into the golf industry and made you more target down the operational and leadership side of it and where you are now? Yeah, of course. Um, so my dad was a golf pro. Uh, my granddad was a, a very, very good golfer. Um, and from, I don't know, 10, 11 years old, I would spend my life at the golf club. Um, to the point where I ended up working in the shop when I was about 14 and, you know, cleaning my dad's practice balls so that I could use his practice balls rather than my own. And, you know, so it was always something that I was probably destined to go into golf. Um, but I went off to university and, and did a degree in recreation management and then, realized I wasn't good enough to play. I wasn't, wasn't good enough to have a playing career. Thankfully, I made that decision really early. Um, and, and I'm glad I did that. And then I went to, um, to take a meeting with the GM at the time at the, at the Belfry who for a bit of advice, really more than anything else. And he said, you should do your PGA and, but the only place you should do it is the Belfry. And, and that was, that was how it came around. And, uh, yeah, I mean, very quickly into my time at the Belfry, I realized that, you know, the segment of the industry that was most exciting to me and most interesting to me was the management side. Um, got some really great opportunities and, and was really, really lucky to be at the Belfry at a great time. And, uh, yeah, the rest is history then, really. Mm. Yeah, the Belfry certainly seems to have a good track record, especially probably in that era of who it produced. I mean, when I worked in Dubai, a lot of people there had gone, done their training at the Belfry. So it seems to have probably like have a, a class of 92-esque style to it, maybe, of um, the number of people who've gone on to really successful careers within that. And it's nice that you followed on from your family's footsteps of of being a golf pro and, and being a golfer yourself as well. Yeah, I mean, I, 
think um, I just wanted to be around golf, wanted to be involved in golf. And if I, I always felt like if I could have a career in something that I liked, then it would never really feel like work. Um, although maybe there are days that really feel like work in cold Denmark in winter, but in general, <laughs> in general, it doesn't always feel like a job. It, it, I still feel like I'm, you know, um, very, very lucky. I think as well, Sonny, speaking for myself, growing up playing sport and being outside kind of all the time through my teenage years, the thought of then having a job that never involved a space and going outdoors at some point always felt like it wouldn't just wouldn't match for me. Completely agree. Yeah. yeah. So today we want to talk about uh, employee development programs and, and how kind of you, know, you approach them and approach specific kind of different groups of people. So I'd love to hear just your overall approach, first of all, of, of that you take with your employees when it comes to development, and maybe also touch on, on yourself as well and how you approach it for you. Yeah, so, I mean, we'll, we'll take the team first. I think um, the way I look at it is everybody is an individual and everybody has a completely different set of needs um, for development and training based on who they are, the type of person they are, the type of character they are, the role they've got, and the point in their career. So, you know, I think it would be wrong to say we just put 5% of everybody's salary in a pot and we decide what their education is going to be. It, it just doesn't work like that. So, we um, we really do it personally. So with the management team, for example, we we look at where they're up to, we look at what they're doing, we have a chat about you know where their where their needs are, um, and we and we work through that together. So they they pretty much decide what education and development that might be. Um, as we get a little bit further. Th- through the structure and we get into the sort of middle management or supervisors and team members, that might be a bit different. And we might, we might tell them that, you know, this is a a program that we'd like them to go down, or this is a particular set of education that they, we feel that they should do. So, um, but yeah, really, really individual based on each person. And then I think for myself, Sorry, yeah, you asked a little bit about myself. So so my own development, I think um, a bit of a mix. I think there's some stuff that I would do education-based. Um, you know, I've done some courses and, and some CMA courses and things like that. But also, I think the best development for me is dragging myself out of my own club and see as many places as I can. So I've always believed that Getting out and meeting people and seeing places is um, is a bigger benefit is as big a benefit as anything else. So you know whether it's I'm on a family holiday, I'm generally going visiting a golf club, um, or you know taking members away on trips to places that I want to go and see. Um, it's uh, I think that's probably the biggest thing that I do as a development. Yeah, it's great to better compare. See, I guess for you to know then what you're doing great at your club already, but also then to pick up ideas and just little nuggets from 
how you see other people do stuff and those conversations with them as well. Yeah, I think everywhere, I don't know anywhere I've been that I've not either nicked an idea um, or should I say copied best practice um, or seen things that you don't like. You know, you might go, you know, I really Mm -hmm. don't like how they present their notice board or, you know, I don't really don't like how they um, have renovated their bathrooms. You're always going to see things that you like or don't like uh, Mm -hmm. that you can learn from and take back to your own club. Yeah, I think that latter point is really important. I keep a um, to-don't list as much as I have a to-do list of stuff I know that it's just a waste of my time, but maybe it's a habit I'm in or whatever it might be. I think, yeah, also having a very clear mind of what exactly you don't want is can be just as important of, of what you do want. Because sometimes you don't know quite how you want something to be, but if you know what you don't want it to be, that narrows down some of your choices. Yeah, that's half the battle. I think my, I think uh, I would say that's my photo reel. The ones that don't go on Instagram, the ones that you don't want to share. But I've got a, a stack full of pictures of places that things that I've seen that, you know, I don't ever want to see at the golf club that I manage. That's a nice way of doing it, especially then potentially sharing it with maybe your immediate team of giving them because it gives them empowerment of kind of. Go and do it how you want to do it, but here's how I definitely don't want it to be like. So it gives them a bit of freedom to be creative, but they're going to end up with something they know doesn't um, it doesn't hit any of the things you don't like. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So there's two groups of people I'd like to discuss when it comes to training development. There's one which I think everybody kind of naturally gets drawn to with this and that's kind of your your superstars those that are ambitious they want big careers and you're going to get you know maybe a few years out of them of great work before they move on to something bigger let's take them how how much you i know you've already said like you let them be a bit more proactive how would you guide them into what you feel their strengths or weaknesses might be maybe especially someone who's They've got a little bit of an ego. They think they're really, really good, and they probably are. But there's weaknesses that you can see in them that maybe they can't, but they might not be that receptive to hearing. Yeah, I think uh, hopefully that that group is probably the ones who are more, a little bit more career driven and, and a little bit looking forward. So I think the first thing we try and do with that that type of character is actually find out, you know, what is the long term goal? Where, where is it? Is it that you want my job? Is it that you you want my job somewhere else, or or is it that you want to go abroad? So what what is the long term goal? And I think once you can once you can all agree and be really open and honest about what the long term goal is, then you can make the plan. I think the challenge is when there is when the when the long term goal is not not honest, then it's harder to make the plan. Um, but I mean, we've had we've had people in in the business who. Um, have gone on and done really great things and I think it's just once you get that direction and that honesty about where they want to be you can put a plan in place um, and 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 put the put the funds in place to to help them so that might be a a greenkeeper who needs tournament experience or it might be a um, you know a golf manager who's doing a really good job but doesn't have any anything any evidence of that skill so it might be a cme diploma that kind of thing but 
everybody again it's really personalized to the to the individual and and it has to be a really really different plan for everyone i think if i i I would i don't have any two people whose development plan is the same Uh, they're all completely different Mm. yeah as you say everyone's going to be different of what what their needs are so the second group which i think are ones that maybe get potentially a bit missed on the development side of things and that's those employees who just want to turn up get paid and go home but they actually want to enjoy work still no one wants to hate coming to work but they maybe got not much ambition which is fine it's, i think if everybody had ambition to be the top person then that would possibly not work anyway how do you work with them because they maybe they can they are such a big part of a club because they make up maybe the majority of staff and they're the front-facing staff what sort of things and how do you tackle them yeah i mean first of all they are more important than people think um because you've got a serious problem if everybody in your team um you know wants to develop so fast that you're just going to have a challenge so the steady eddies or the the really consistent brilliant consistently brilliant people um but not necessarily driven to do more are vital um i think we do mm. we do quite a lot for them um in different ways but it's not always on development so more group training with that group so it might be that we bring somebody in external and do group training a lot more internal training so um so actually making sure they're really skilled to do their job and feel comfortable enough to do their job. I think, um, yeah, I think, and then experiences within, within the, within the company. So making sure they always know the vision, making sure they always know the direction, making sure they're always up to date with exactly what we're thinking, what's going on, um, which is not necessarily development, but it's, it gives them that security and knowledge that, how important they are um but yeah i would say with that group it's more group training and internal training so it doesn't feel quite as pressured as maybe we want to send you on a course or we want you to go and do this we we would avoid that for that for that group i think yeah essentially communication right make them with them knowing the vision and what's important to the club and probably makes them feel a bit more included as well and the feeling importance a big part. I remember when I first got to Dubai and I was in the onboarding and the director of F&B asked the room, there's quite a lot of people in there, does anyone here think their job isn't important? Fair play, one lad put his hand up and he was asked, what's your job? He said, I'm a kitchen porter. Perfect person for the director of F&B because his view was, no, no, you are as important, if not more important than anybody because if you don't clean the dishes, we can't serve food. And yeah. you could see the visual change in this guy's face was like, oh, what I do does matter. And it's that, yeah, having those little messages to everybody who, yeah, I think it's easy to think what you do doesn't matter if it's something a bit more kind of lower end menial. But if that doesn't happen, then the whole whole system can break down. I guess it's like um, building, bro- building blocks in a pyramid. If, if the if the teams where there's more people 
if they break down and the bottom of the the pyramid breaks down, it all falls down. So, you know, whilst whilst my job is to support my management team um, and and make them better and make them um, you know happy and and satisfied and and motivated. By me doing that to them, hopefully that will then transcend and they will then do that then to their teams and, and that will just flow throughout the company. Um, but and, and that's certainly the goal because, yeah, absolutely, there's, everybody has a, a role to play if your club's going to be, be brilliant. And then within the development, how much of it, obviously most of it's going to be more kind of professional development directly to the work. Do you take much focus on say employees hobbies and potentially facilitating them to be able to take part in their hobbies whether that's through scheduling or it's through team building stuff based around what people's hobbies are to make them again because that if they're happy at home they're probably going to bring a better version of themselves to work yeah absolutely i think everybody um you know, sometimes we just look at the, the the professional or the 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 person and what they bring to us at work. Um, but yeah, if they if they've got ambitions or things going on in their private life that makes would make them better in their professional life, then then we've got a, a commitment to do that. So yeah, we do. I mean, scheduling is the main way. So for example, we had a um, a brilliant assistant green assistant head greenkeeper who uh, was a sailor and wanted to do the transatlantic mm. sail race um but of course oh, wow. that's not something you do on your two days off um so yeah he you know he he made it pretty clear that he wanted to do it and and his and and our head greenkeeper facilitated it and we we managed to get him we managed to work the schedule so he could have the the six weeks or or, or what he needed and, and he went away and did that and i think that's key, you know, and there's loads of little examples of things like that where um, it doesn't really hurt us, you know, but it may, but it's really important to them. Um, so we would, we would try and do that for them, for any of our team, if there was things like that. Mm. I say, but it could hurt you by not doing it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, the way the golf industry is at the moment and, you know, I think it's been fairly well documented and, and spoken about that um, the industry is not well paid enough. The roles in the industry, the payments are not what they should be. And, and generally there's a an amount of people leaving the industry. So as employers, we've got to do everything we can to make sure that the the, the clubs that we run are really great places to work and, and, you know, facilitating requests like that are not that difficult to do when you see how important it is to, to the person. Um, you know, and we would, I think it's fair to say we would try and, we would try and accommodate anything like that for any of our team. I'm not saying we would be able to do it every time, but we would mm. try, we would try if we could to make that work. Hmm. it's also a nice story right especially something as exciting as doing the transatlantic crossing like that I mean, that's a pretty cool story you know, whether you shared it with members maybe i don't know but, but even just internally your staff to know that one of your other one of your colleagues has done that i think that's that'd be 
I would have endless questions on what that would be like to ask that person doing that. So that's yeah, also potential. Um, you know, it changed the lunchtime chat to let's look at the app and see where he is. Um, yeah. You know, and, and he'd given us a link to the app and, and uh, we could see exactly where he is and what position he was in and their, what position their boat was in in the race and, you know, how it was going. And it was it was great, um, you know, and it, and it gave us all a bit of an insight into him. Um, you know, hopefully it showed that, that we care about, you know, their private lives as well as their professional lives. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, and that's, I can see just from how you've said that as well. That was quite an exciting thing every day to open up the app and for the team to share that together, that someone they know is out doing that. The sort of thing that you maybe read a book about someone doing the transatlantic, but to actually then have a colleague do it. Yeah, I imagine that would bring everyone together a little bit, even for that, more together for that short term, but then a little bit more longer term as well. Oh, nice. So I've got a few questions for yourself. In the last five years, what new <coughs> belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Yeah, so I think um, there was a moment, maybe it's maybe slightly more than five years ago, but the moment that I realized that I work for my team rather than them working for me, mm. um, the moment I really, really realized that was huge and that changed um the way i i manage and and operate the golf club um you know and that that did change you know and i think probably all of us when we look back at previous jobs and and how we were 10 or 15 or 20 years ago we go god i can't believe i did things like that um but i think the moment that i really realized that you know i was there for them rather than the other way around that definitely was a big, a big point. Um, I think in terms of a, a habit, then um, more recently, I, I probably over two years ago, I now pick up the kids once or twice a week from school. I leave work early. I leave the club at three o'clock, um, and getting into a habit of of that. Not just for me and my relationship with my kids and my wife, which is of course important. But showing everybody else in the team that there are things more important, the place will not stop without us, and we can leave. Um, you know, it plan plan properly. We can leave whenever we want. Uh, we can manage our. We don't need to be sixty, seventy hours a week. Um, we can do. We can do things around around our 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 families as well so i think that's more of a habit or a, a you know a change to my diary that i make um and i hope i hope that then certainly the management team will see me do that and go okay so actually that's all right to do that i can take x day off i can take x afternoon off i can you know without anybody looking at me and going well he's skiving or he always sneaks off on a monday it's not that important. Yeah, yeah, no, that's perfect. And that's got to come from you, right? As being the CEO, you've got to demonstrate that that's okay. And as you said, if if the club is going to burn down because you've gone home at three o'clock twice a day, twice a week, there's some bigger problems at hand. It, Absolutely. It can manage. <laughs> yeah. So on that 
you know, that change of mindset that you work for your team, was there like a precise moment that you can draw on that was the aha moment or was it kind of just a short period of time of the gradual realization or was there? Yeah, maybe. I think um, I can't, I can't actually pinpoint it to be honest, but I think when, when I, when I was at Monterey, I was the boss of the golf area. Um, but there was management above. When I came to the when I came to the Scandinavian, I'm sort of the last line of um, management, and I think that's the point where you realise that the job that you do is providing jobs and livelihoods for people. Um, so actually, it becomes different. You know, it becomes almost more important that you're successful and that you do the right things. Um, I would say that was probably the point when I realized six months into my time at, at, at the Scandinavian and that the club wasn't in, in great shape. If I don't do a good job here, if I don't help these, this club and, and these are jobs on, on the line ultimately, um, you know, and, and that then was probably the turning point for me where I realized, okay, how do we do that? And, and, yeah, I think that was probably the point. Okay. The next one, imagine you've got a 10-year-older version of yourself sat next to you right now. He's got 10 years more experience in life. What advice do you think he would give you now with that power of hindsight over the last the next 10 years? I don't know. We'll see how the war ends up with costs and things. He might advise me to turn the heating down even lower. That's um, that's a really tough question because we, you know, the world changes so quickly at the moment um, that you know who knows what what's going to happen in the next ten years, which would lead to my ten year older self telling me. Um, my guess, my guess, but even just is your own that, things. Then what maybe like habit is there something you really want to change about something you do now or to stop or start doing that you think i really should do that and it's something that actually you think probably is that important that if you don't do or stop it that's what you'd get told by your 10 year old self you should just do it now yeah i think i think i think what what my 10 year old self would be would be work on um empathy and um and the softer side of life earlier so i guess again when we talk about our younger self we were a bit i was certainly was a little bit more focused on results on achievements on um making getting the job done whereas i think if my older self had looked back and gone care more about people look after people be kinder to people i think if i'd have known that a little bit earlier i probably would have been a bit successful a little bit quicker um, you know, and, and it doesn't come naturally. So it's something that, um, you know, I, I work on and have to work on because it's just not my natural go-to position. Um, thankfully I have a, a brilliant person in, in my team who is brilliant at that and kicks me under the table or gives me a nod when, you know, I need to do something. Um, but yeah, I think that would be something that I would tell myself. Important point there, though, right, as well, the fact that you've got that around you. You've 
whether that was actively done or not, I don't know. But the fact you have someone in your team who is excellent at that skill that you know you're not in um, to the level you want to be, who can then just slowly probably change your behavior through them nudging you when you're off track. That's a really good point. I think, um, you know, recruitment of people who are not like yourself is really hard but really vital. Mm. Um, so, again, you go, you go back, you look at everybody you wanted to recruit is people that you liked, people you could see yourself getting on with, people you could see yourself going for a pint with. But actually, that's really the wrong way. Um, you know, and, and mm. more recently, I found myself going, okay, you know, I might not necessarily want to go for a drink with this person. I might not necessarily share share the same interests but as long as we share the same values and though and that person has a different set of skills we'll make it work so you know our we often sit in our management meeting and sometimes i have to sort of remind the the, the group of us the small group of us that the reason we are being successful is because we are so different but of course by being so different causes mm-hmm. us challenges um, and if we just remind yeah. ourselves that all the time, that it's okay to disagree, it's okay to be different, it's, and that's, but that also is why we're succeeding. Um, but it's something that you know comes with time as well. So I'm pretty aware of that now. If I go into a recruitment, to not not necessarily look for a another me um, or somebody with my skills mm-hmm. and, and and really try and find complementing skills and, and personalities yeah important part of recruitment and yeah is like you said the first half of that battle is just being aware of it and going in there with that mindset of actively looking for someone who's who's different to complement as you don't need two people the same because you only just get two sets of the same answers yeah so how do you give feedback so more thinking when someone's maybe disappointed you in how they've acted or handled a situation, maybe like give yeah an example of how you, maybe a situation you've had and how you've then approached that, or if you just have a general approach you'd always take, then you can use that instead. Yeah, so a little bit like um, training and development, I think feedback is very personal. Um, and again, having a team who are very different and at different stages in their lives and different stages in their careers and different experience levels, the feedback has to be different or delivered differently to each one. Um, I think, so I don't have a standard way that I'm going to feedback one hour after I've been disappointed. I, I don't, I don't have a tried and trusted way that works well for everyone because you know it doesn't really matter how, if i think i'm delivering it well it's actually how they receive it that's way way more important so mm-hmm. um what i try and do and I don't always do it and it doesn't always work because sometimes we're emotional because we care but i would always try if i've been disappointed or feel let down is leave it, let it, let it stew, go away. Um, 
you know, write it down, go home, kick the cat, be angry, um, and then come back in a much calmer, in a much calmer way, and then deliver the feedback. Um, I, I try not to deliver the feedback in the moment because I think I haven't planned it. I haven't planned what I'm going to say. I haven't planned how I'm going to say it. I haven't really thought about how it's going to be received. Um, so I, I try to plan feedback. It doesn't always work because sometimes you are just emotional. Um, but generally I find when I deliver feedback immediately and in an emotional moment, I don't deliver it in the way that I want to deliver it. And it doesn't then have the impact to the person I'm delivering it to. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've got, I got pretty, pretty mixed, um, management team and, you know, some, you know, one or two of the management team are very experienced, you know, been here a long time, really, you know, I've done this, they're confident, they're strong and, and they're, you know, the feedback to them can be brutally honest, um, you know, and, and, you know, maybe a little bit more emotional and it can be delivered that way because that's the stage that, that I know that that person can take that feedback quite differently. Um, whereas I might have a member of a member of the management team who's a bit more emotional, um, you know, has a different set of skills or is in a different time where I actually need to think about, okay, I'm going to deliver this feedback very differently or a lot softer. Um, so yeah, I think, um, got, I mean, going back to the answer is feedback is personalized, just like development plans and training plans. Um, feedback is, is also really personalized. Yeah, that's a very good point. One way I like doing it, again, I'm similar to you. I don't have a one set way, but for people a bit more emotional, I like starting off with a phrase of the story I'm telling myself and then X, whatever it is that they've done, because I'm making it more about me like how I've felt from what they've done. And then they can correct me. Oh, no, no, I didn't do that because of this. I found that quite useful for emotional people, for myself, of bringing it more down for how it made me feel and the story I'm telling myself. Can like, Yeah, I found that's quite useful. Diffusing them if they might be emotional to it. So it's having that, yeah, that toolbox of different tactics. Yeah, I think it also one of the things I try and do, and, and again, we're not perfect and it doesn't always work, but if I get let down by somebody, certainly somebody who's, who's fairly senior or, or somebody who I really trust, what I, what I try and do is, is say, have I created that in some way? Have I played a part in that? Yeah. You know, uh, have I played a part in that mistake or that, um, that situation? What could I have done differently to avoid that happening or to certainly to make sure that doesn't happen again. Um, and actually sometimes I think by turning it on yourself, um, you know, and saying, did I, did I create that? I think that's a good way of suddenly mm. you end up stop blaming anybody or criticizing anyone, but you can turn it on yourself and say, look, that person didn't try and make the mistake. I didn't try and let you down. So, mm. Um, so have what part have I played in, in that situation? Yeah, it's a very good point. I, I try and as much as possible go through life with the view that 
everyone does the best they can with what they've got and everyone's got a different level so that i find that makes me very calm i'll say very calm generally speaking more calm and serene when people mess up or even even when i'm being served somewhere they're doing the best they can of what they've got i can't actually get that angry with them in the moment it doesn't always yeah. work but yeah i think it's I think it yeah. says a lot. The way that you treat a waiter or a waitress or a receptionist or a cleaner says yeah. a lot about you. I I completely agree. I think, um, you know, nobody's trying to do something wrong. Mm. You know, it, there's no point getting angry with that. It, it just doesn't work or help. Yeah, no. I've heard a number of variations of this quote from a lot of people on podcasts, and it's, how you treat those people who can do nothing for you says everything about who you actually are as a person. Yeah, it's a good quote. Good, good yeah. comment. Yeah. Final one. What's one of the best pieces of advice you've received in your career? Yeah, good, really good question. Um, so back when I was at the Belfry, um, I had a manager for a few years who was really good guy, really great manager. Um, and actually a bit of a father figure at that point because I was quite a young guy living away from home and whatever and, and he was going through a fairly messy um, messy separation at the time and he he said to me this he said Dave never ever ever get married never jump from one lily pad without another to land on and the real mistake is making the same mistake mistake twice now all those three were clearly meant about relationships and wives and, and partners <laughs> <laughs> but the last one the last one the real mistake is making the same mistake twice is probably the piece of advice or thing that i live with and i think even though he probably didn't deliver it meaning that um you know, I try and live with that. So I don't, I don't get angry when somebody makes a mistake. I, I actually think making mistakes is really good. I think it's really healthy. I think, um, you, if you're going to make mistakes, it means you're trying things. It means you're doing things differently. It means you're challenging yourself. So I, I actually really, really try to never criticize a first mistake where I get disappointed and angry is that same mistake again and again and again and again. Um, and, and I think if I could pass that down to, to, the, to, the, to the rest of the team and, and everybody in the team that it's okay, it's okay to screw up. It's okay to make a mistake. Just do it once. Don't do the mm. same one again and again. So I think that, mm. you know, he didn't deliver it in that way. But it, I'll live. I'll remember it, and I, well, I actually remember all three, of course. But uh, but that last one uh, will stay with me. Yeah, that's very powerful. And coming back to what we said earlier about you uh, setting an example of taking the time off, it's also probably for you to set the example of saying, "I made this mistake. This is what I've learned from it." As a learning for everyone else as well. I think if you're if you're the leader and you're seen as like perfection, you never do anything wrong. That also makes people feel like they can't. So it's, and I, I and I know from 
how, how you know my previous conversations that you will be someone who will 100% say yeah I got this wrong uh, which him helps empower that team to to be the same I think I pretty much do it all the time you know I say to them you know I make loads of mistakes every day um, I tell my board the mistakes I make you know if we if I say look we did this we tried this and it just went wrong we're really open because actually when you try and cover it up it either gets found out and then they don't trust you again or they think you're not trying anything so I, I'm I, maybe too honest sometimes on that but I really try and be honest about the mistakes that we make and and how we're going to react to that mistake and not do it again hmm. lovely well just to wrap up one final observation reflection comes up often as a really key part of of being a great leader and I don't know how actively you do spend time reflecting, but I can tell from the way you phrase a lot of stuff today on how you question things and question yourself all the time, that there is a great deal of reflection that goes on. And that I think comes across certainly in, in how probably how successful you've been as a leader, the fact that you're questioning yourself and principles and yeah, it's not, I know second guessing can seem, it's always probably labeled as this negative thing but it's just reflection on what can be done better i think it's really powerful yeah. as well side. i think um you know if you're not always looking at yourself um i think especially when you when you when you're a leader or when you're the the, the sort of top person in the company if you're not really looking at yourself how you can be better what mistakes you've made, uh, what how your decisions have affected people. Um, you know, I don't think you're really doing the right thing. I, I, you know, unfortunately, spend my life thinking about um, the mistakes you've made, the, you know, the things you could do better, the, the conversations that you wish, oh, I wish I'd just started that conversation a little bit differently or I wish I'd, you know, started that meeting with a different you know, opener, um, all the time, you know, and, and, but I think that reflection is again about not making the same mistake twice. You know, if you're not reflecting on it, you might not even know it's a mistake, you know? So I think reflecting on, yeah, probably, probably too much to be honest. I, ref, you know, always trying to be better and always trying to do different things and maybe reflect a little bit too much, but do you just reflect mentally or do you write it down? I mentally. It all stays in there, unfortunately. <laughs> Maybe I should write it down and then it doesn't stay there as much and then I don't wake up in the night thinking about it. But no, I probably uh, yeah. it's all in, it's all in um, that tiny little yeah. brain, I think. <laughs> yeah, I do find writing it down helps. I don't do it all the time. But yeah, if there's that thing which keeps coming up and keeps waking me up, I do find writing that down gets it out. Uh, a little bit i don't write i don't do a reflective writing practice as much as i know i probably should so david thanks so much for your time today and joining me on this episode i hope you've enjoyed it and thank you for sharing your your wisdom with all the listeners pleasure thanks ed and um you know good luck with your new venture down under wish you all the best thank you for joining me on this journey as we dive into the world of club management I hope you enjoy listening to these conversations as much as I enjoy having them. If you do enjoy and get value from them, 
I have two small requests. Simply subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast listening app and leave a review and share it directly with someone whom you think would benefit from listening. If you're interested in being a guest on this show yourself, then you can reach out to me using the details in the show notes or email me modernclubmanagement at pm.me. In the show notes, you will also find a link to my bi-weekly newsletter that complements these conversations where you can sign up to receive these directly into your inbox so that you never miss out. Thanks for tuning in and have an amazing day. This episode is brought to you by Sweda. Sweda is the social learning platform that delivers high quality blended learning with human connection. Sweda is on a mission to revolutionize the digital learning space through restoring the critical element of human engagement that has gotten lost in online learning. The technology provides everything organizations or individuals need on one single platform to achieve meaningful long-term learning success. Using these skills helped me attain a job offer as the director of golf at Golf Digest, top 100 in the world ranked course after I completed their influence and communication courses. But don't just take my word and the 97% five-star reviews it has had on Trustpilot for it, try it yourself. All you have to do is email david at suada.com, that's S-U-A-D-A.com, and quote the Modern Club Management Podcast to claim your free enrollment onto the Reciprocity course to start your journey to become a more influential and persuasive communicator.